On a special broadcast of the From the Heart podcast today, we had Dr. Ken Blanchard, who was our first guest on the From the Heart podcast, along with Gary Ridge, chairman of WD40, who also was within season one of the From the Heart podcast. The two of them, along with the president and CEO of Mondavi Wines, Judd Wallenbrock, addressed a large audience of family business owners and executives from around the country today, addressing the topic of servant leadership in unprecedented times. We hope you all enjoy the special broadcast in partnership with the From the Heart podcast, the Heart Leadership Group, and the Center for Family Business at Cal State University Fullerton in Southern California. 20 plus years ago, and uh, he's been a mentor of mine. A lot of his servant leadership teaching, we actually put into practice at WD40. You know, I truly believe that our job is to create a workplace where we go to work every day, you make a contribution to something bigger than yourself, you learn something new, you're protected and set free by a set of values and you go home happy. And um, that going home happy today is probably a little tougher than it's been in the past. But I hope today that uh, Ken can share a lot of his wisdom. I can share some of my scar tissue. And from that, you may take a couple of gems away that uh, you may be able to use in, um, in navigating through this this time. We're, we're learning new things every day. We're developing new leadership muscles. Um, and uh, that's exciting um, in many ways. In sometimes some of the greatest uh, outcomes uh, that we've ever we ever get is through disruption. And certainly, we are in a stage of disruption right now. So from disruption comes creativity. So um, as I said, been WD40 33 years. I'm an Aussie. Although when I go back to Australia, my mates pick on me because they think I've got a Yankee accent now. I tell them I haven't. So I'll, uh, I'll give you a good old Australian g'day, mate, and I'll hand over to one of my best mates, Ken Blanchard. You still sound Australian to me, Gary. <laughs> Dr. Blanchard. You know, Gary, we don't want to send people home happy now. We want them to be home, happy while they're home. <laughs> Stay home. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, uh, but uh, this is a really interesting time. And I think... Uh, in people trying to run organizations. I mean, some people have just happened to close their organizations completely. I mean, so that's really is sad, all the people that were working there and all. And Gary and I with our companies are uh, keeping them open and trying to see if we can make a difference uh, for our customers still uh, yeah. within, within the midst of all this, uh, this craziness. And I think the real key thing, Gary, you and I always agree on is that our most important uh, uh, customer is our people. And uh, no matter whether it's good times or, or bad times or interesting times, we want to really make sure uh, that the environment we're creating, the culture we're creating is one that our people can thrive in, whether they're working at home or at the office or wherever uh, they are. And <clears throat> servant leadership, it's all about what bringing the best out of, of your people and and uh, what I love about working with Gary is that you know I'm a theorist I mean we do have our own company we have 300 plus people but Gary's a real practitioner and and uh, when we met in the graduate program at the University of San Diego the Master of Science and Executive Leadership we have uh, Gary just sort of said wow I'm gonna apply and use that and and uh, he's really taken all the good stuff that we've written about and talked about as well as other people and put it into his organization 
I think in a way that's making a difference. Isn't your uh, employee engagement score, Gary, what, 93%? I mean, isn't that what it is? I mean, yeah, 93%, 98% of people say they love to tell people they work at our company. 96% say they actually respect their coach, which is their boss. And when you think about it, most people uh, leave companies because they hate their boss. Um, but it goes back, Ken, to what Aristotle said in 384 BC, pleasure in the job puts perfection in the work. And leadership, as you've taught me and we know, is not about being in charge. Leadership is about taking care of the people in your charge. And I think it's a, a, a real crying shame that 70% of people who go to work every day you know, hate their jobs. And as you've often said, Ken, it's a shame that the only time people know they're doing a good job is because no one yelled at them today. And we as leaders have got to create this atmosphere where um, it brings out the best, and then particularly now. Yes, and I, I think uh, now is, is a perfect time for servant leadership because I think as you're running your organization, uh, a lot of people, when we talk about servant leadership, they think we're talking about the inmates running the prison or trying to please everybody or some kind of religious movement. But there's really two parts of servant leadership. And the first one is vision and direction and goals. And uh, that's the responsibility of the traditional hierarchy. And I want to tell you, in tough times, you got to keep on talking about your vision and your values and your goals uh, so that people know that that's really why you're still in, in business. And so uh, it is the responsibility of the hierarchy. It doesn't mean you don't involve people in uh, determining that vision and direction, but the responsibility is there. So if people don't know what business you're in, where you're trying to head and what your values are and your goals, shame on you because it's your responsibility. Now, once the leadership, and that's the leadership part of servant leadership, is clear because leadership is going, about going somewhere, then you get to the servant part of servant leadership, and that's where you turn the traditional pyramid upside down, and now you essentially work for your people uh, because your job is to really help your people win, which is what? Accomplish their goals. And, uh, and Gary, that's been so important in WD-40, the way you've set that up and, and at uh, WD-40, they, uh, they constantly are trying to help their people win. And uh, they don't call them employees, they call them what? Mates, <laughs> team members. Tribe, tribe mates. Tribe mates and, and, and all. And so uh, uh, that's what you're really trying to do. You take care of your people so that your people eventually will take care of your customers. You know, people in the past, Gary, have really thought that uh, the only reason for being in business is to make profit. And you and I agree that profit is the applause you get for creating a motivating environment for your people so they'll take good care of your customers. And when they do that, they become raving fans of yours, become part of your sales force and all that. And so the fact that you have those tremendous scores and response in your people is they love to come to work at WD-40 and as a result, they love to go out of their way to what? Take care of your customers. Isn't that right, Gary? Yeah, absolutely, Ken. And, you know, you're so right, Ken, about vision, direction, and goals. You know, we have two things, too, in, in business, the will of the people and the resources of the organization. And you can have all the resources you, you want in the world, but if you have low will of the people, the multiplier doesn't work for you. So... You know, in this sort of situation that we're going through now, what are some of the things that 
I would share with the, the folks on the, the call today to think about. Ken touched on three there. Um, here's some of the things that I've jotted down that I've been learning over the time, some scar tissue that I have from learning moments that I've had. So number one, I would think make sure you are aware and you have initiated all of the available support that is out there from various places for your business now. You know, there's nothing better now than having uh, the ability to maintain your workforce if they have a job to do. So, and I know a lot of organizations have been uh, taking advantage of the programs that are out there that are allowing people to stay employed. We um, just got a $4.7 million grant from the government which is uh, just going to be tremendous for us to make sure that we can keep on going to till we get out of this whole thing. So yeah. what a wonderful opportunity that was. Absolutely. It's fantastic. Can I ask second, you, gentlemen, uh, real quick? You've talked, obviously, about Ken, as you were talking about the pyramid, and I've seen you do that before. Um, talk if, if either of you or both of you could, how does this look a little bit differently now in the last six weeks? What are some of the things that you've done differently and since say March 1st that maybe you weren't doing differently I know the servant leadership aspect hasn't changed but how has the method of that changed for you recently sure. I have a, a few things here I'd love to share it number Great. one um, stay as centered as you possibly can keep calm um, we know that we do not make good decisions in chaos now it's easy to say to keep calm but as a leader we have to do that have a strategy um, and a strategy is, is definition of how to over time, how are you going to get to where you want to go? Um, over communicate and stay connected and have as much transparency with your people as possible. They will help you if they know what they can help you with. Resist even more than ever the temptation to micromanage. What we need now is creativity. So people need freedom to have for creativity, but to do that, be clear about your intent and make sure you set boundaries and reset boundaries. So yeah, you can have boundaries in your business. A boundary might be, this is all we can afford, or this is what we need to achieve. Let, make sure those boundaries are set and then let your people's creativity go into action. I heard a wonderful story the other day from a, uh, a private business out um, in Texas, uh, Texas Roadhouse Grill. And Texas Roadhouse Grill um, are in the state business. They set their people free around boundaries and they were doing wonderful things. Like they, they, they take out businesses where they have to survive now. So what are they doing in their parking lot? One of the managers is running movies on the back wall of the, uh, of the theater, of their, their, their restaurant. Um, they're now selling raw steak as well, because they had a lot of steak, so they're selling raw steak. And there's a lot of things, but this happened because people set boundaries but set people free. Um, be present, be mindful, be real, innovate, and don't try to control things that are beyond your reach. Don't try to control things that are beyond your reach. So these are, and then be a giver, not a taker. These are some of the things, that, some of the learning that um, we've had just in recent times. You know, Gary, you're talking about uh, communication. Uh, we had a Zoom call uh, last week with over 300 people uh, in our company around the, the globe, which is just unbelievable that you could 
that you know, technology came through when we needed it. Uh, but uh, our son became president in January of our company, and he and his leadership team have been communicating, communicating, communicating. And this 300-person uh, Zoom call was bringing everybody up to date and all the latest thinking and, and all. And I think that you're really right, is if, if people know what, what the deal is and what's happening and all, then they can help contribute the best because you want to get them to be out of their fear mindset and into their creative uh, mindset. And, and people who don't have information make it up, particularly in a stressful time like this. And their creativity could really bring a lot of fear uh, around that, don't you think, Gary? Absolutely. And I was reminded, Ken, of when we were together just in the summer and you and Margie and Maria and I were having a chat about some sharing that Brene Brown talked about. And in the absence of fact and data, we make up stories. <laughs> and people are out there right now making up stories. And you can be assured that those stories uh, are not the truth. So now's the time to help people make, not make up stories. And the only way to do that is uh, through transparency. And again, if people know what they need to do and you give them the freedom to do it, they'll be creative. Every, you know, everybody in every organization now needs to know this is a reset. This is not, this is not a, a temporary thing. This is a reset. All of the assumptions that we made uh, two months ago against our business and our strategy are no longer void, are no longer valid. They're void. So we need to be going back to our strategy group and the people in our company and saying, here's what we know are facts today. How do you suggest we attack our business in a different way? And, be, and let, that, let that stream of knowledge come in and then, then decide what is the new strategy you're going to take. Yeah. And we're going to come out, Gary, I'm sure a lot stronger after this because we've been forced to take all of our training programs and put them online. And so uh, in the past, we've been doing most of our training face-to-face. -face. Now we're going to come out of this where we can still do face-to-face -face training where people want it and all, but we're going to be able to go online. So we're going to be able to impact so many more people than we ever thought. It's uh, really interesting now. For example, I was uh, talking to some pastors, you know, who are getting significantly bigger crowds watching their services online that ever showed up personally. <laughs> and so there's a whole new way of uh, being where it's, uh, you can both uh, be person to person, but online. So we're going to have a whole new way of, of doing business, which is going to be exciting. I bet it'll be the same way with you all. So the issue yeah. isn't being in church. The issue is getting to church, it sounds like, because they're fine being in church right here on their, on their computers at home. Gary, you talked about the reset. How do you tell someone or what's your advice to a company that might have just been really thriving six weeks ago that, that now is, is hemorrhaging? So I know we have some people on the call that would probably define themselves as that way. The reset certainly is, is not voluntary, of course. Um, what kind of words of encouragement can you give to those companies? Well, firstly, I'd look at the business model itself and look at what are the key attributes of success in the business model. And is there any way you can activate those in this new environment? For example, you know, if you're in the, in the restaurant business and your business was all about people coming to tables, what, what, what is the key asset in, in your business? Your, your menu and your kitchen. How do you put your menu and your kitchen to work in a different way than you did before? 
um, and how can you creatively do that? So again, it's what are these? What 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 are the key drivers of success that were making you successful before in an old environment, and how can you take those in some way, and in this new environment, re-energize? Ken just gave a wonderful example. I know that the Ken's company have been talking for years about we should put more online, we should put more online, we should put more online. Guess what happened? They woke up and they said, if we don't, we're dead. Yeah, same with <laughs> us. Exactly the same with how we're feeling at the center as well. And, and the same with our company. Go ahead, Ken, sorry. This is called the cosmic goose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love it. You know, we've, we've said in our company, an example, that we need to get better on, at, at being virtual. So we buy all this equipment, we get WebEx, and we have all this stuff, and we have nice screens, but nobody took the time to learn how to use them. Why? Because they had to put some effort in. Suddenly, since we've all been working from home for four weeks now, all of our tribe members around the world are working from home, except for Shanghai. Our Shanghai office is up and running again, and they're all back there and working. But now we're all got really comfortable with being virtual. That doesn't mean we won't have interaction personally in the future where social animals will need to do that. But it means the gaps in between that will be so much more productive and people are being more collaborative. You know, I, I wrote something the other day, which was um, forgive folks for not being, forgive folks for just being human, withdraw the temptation to be judgmental, forgive yourself for making mistakes, embrace the learning moment, pivot and go forward. And you know what? It's okay now if my dog comes in and barks when I'm on the phone. I don't have to apologize for it. It's okay if you're having meetings at home. I was on a, a, a podcast the other day, and the guy who was interviewing me on the podcast, his little daughter came in, took some paper off the, the printer, wrote something, and, and, and put it above his head. It's like, well, that's okay. Don't, you don't have to apologize. This is the new normal. Get used to it. Yeah, I read the other day that uh, a quote that I now have looked at every day on my desk that says, let's not waste this experience. And I've heard each of you can. I think you shared that too the other day. Um, what have you learned that you're implementing at the Blanchard companies now, Ken, that uh, other than everything going online faster than you had anticipated, other lessons that you've picked up in these <coughs> weeks that you're excited to implement, whether you have yet or you're excited to put into place? Well, I think the big thing we've learned is more than ever is that our people are all important, you know, I mean, because uh, we've had to, uh, as Gary's saying, we've really had to go, how are we going to get this stuff online? How are we going to do this? And, and so people are, in many ways are working at home, but they're working harder maybe than they even were before because we're, we're playing catch up uh, ball and our salespeople are just doing a tremendous job talking to customers, not trying to sell them something, but saying, we're here for you. What can we do to help you? And, and, uh, and all we're, we're getting tremendous uh, feedback and, and uh, ideas from, from them. So it's a, it's a really pleasant one plus one plus one, you know, that, that uh, the great organizations that Gary and I know look at their people as their number one customer. And, and if they treat them really well, then they go out of the way to take care of your, number two most important customer, the people who use your products and services, and that takes care of the bottom line. And so I think we're just learning again that you could have, quote, the best leaders going, but it's your people that really is where the action is. And it's the job of the leaders to bring out the best in your people and create an environment where they all feel 
like they can contribute and they can bring their brains to work and they're really important. Yeah, I think the other thing too is, you know, who are your key customers and how can you support them? Now, I'll give you a tip, a very simple example. Uh, we were talking in a marketing brainstorming webinar or WebEx this morning and we said, well, you know, a lot of our product is used in, in industry with tradesmen and whatever. What about if we made WD-40 face masks and just gave them to our, our key, to our customer base to give to their customer base? Number one, it's going to show our care of protecting for them. Number two, it'll have a nice WD-40 emblem on it. So it'll, it'll remind them of our brand. But um, overall, you know, how do you, how do you again continue to strengthen that loyalty connection and equity with your core customer base, which I think is, is really, really important. Can I get one of those, Gary? Sure. <laughs> I'll happily wear it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, I, I, that kind of creativity is really, really great. And, and uh, people come up with ideas like that that can, can really help you uh, along the way. And so and that's the other thing that I think is that I think we were going through a period in our society where we were kind of self-centered uh, and one of the things that's coming out of this is people are really reaching out in a caring way to neighbors and friends and, and colleagues and, and all. And so I just hope that that continues after uh, this whole uh, thing is over with is that we realize that, uh, you know, one plus one is a lot greater than two. Uh, and none of us is as smart as all of us and that, that we just need each other. And uh, that's, that's so, so important. Yeah. You know, one of the other things that we did last week, another friend of mine, Chester Elton, he wrote the book, The Carrot Principle. He just released a new book called Leading with Gratitude. And uh, Chester did a company, he did a webinar for us. And uh, we had all of our people from all around the world. And he got on for half an hour and talked about leading with gratitude. And at the end of that, I, I got this little book. It's called um, Hacking Uncertainty. And uh, it's a little booklet. Another friend of mine, Price Pritchard, wrote it. And I said, if anybody, and it's, it's a great little book. It, it, it talks about, um, you know, how uncertainty is like being in an improv. But I said to all of our tribe members around the world, I said, send, because of Privacy Act, I, can't, I don't have their home addresses. So I said, send me your home address if you'd like this book. So I got, I don't know how many hundreds of emails. I sat here, I wrote a personal note to each person. I put this in the, in the I addressed every envelope. I took it to the mail, to the post office, and I mailed it to our people around the world. Now, um, the thing that I didn't know when I got to the post office is they were going to give me stamps. That I had to put all the stamps on myself, so that took long. But I had some wonderful feedback from our people. I got one the other day said, I can't believe you actually sat there and wrote these. And I said, it's because I care about you guys. But this is a great little book. It's on Amazon. If anybody wants to get it, it's called Hacking Uncertainty. And uh, it's got 10 different um, sections around what you can do to in times of uncertainty. So something you may want to, you may want to consider, or you can get it off Pritchard's website, I think too. It's P-R-I-T-C-H-E-T-T, -T -T, Price Pritchard. My good friend, Brian Goodman, who's a member of our center, just typed in chat, if you all look at chat, the link's there. So I would suggest you copy and paste that somewhere so that you don't lose it after mm -hmm. this call. And just so that's a good reminder too, if anyone has questions, 
to go ahead and put them up on here on the chat. We'll have plenty of time for Q&A throughout. Judd, let me switch over to you for a minute. You're the yeah. only other one right now that I have unmuted. I recently met Judd. Judd is the president and CEO of the Mondavi Wines and Charles Krug Winery, as you can see over his shoulder. He's not standing out in the dirt parking lot in front of the sign. I, I've learned the, the, the magic of the, the virtual background in, in Zoom in the last six weeks. I think we all have. Um, can you just kind of chime in a little bit? You and I, we, we had the privilege of hearing from you last week on a call on Friday. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you guys are doing through this uncertainty that, that lessons, maybe a lesson or two you've learned or comments on anything you've heard Gary and Ken share to this point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, let me uh, tell Ken that uh, the thing that's holding my, my computer up right now is uh, raving fans. I don't know, oh, you can't probably see that with the green screen, <laughs> but that's what's holding up my computer right now. Nice. And, uh, and for Gary, I want you to know that in 1980, I uh, spent two months hitchhiking across the Nullabar in, uh, in Australia. So I've got, uh, there you go. <laughs> Look at that, made in Australia. A long time ago. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Well, anyways, in America. Yeah, what we're, I think um, we're learning, you know, we're learning something new every day right now, which is great. And the sort of the approach that I have to the whole company, actually to life in general, is that if you kind of think about um, <clears throat> driving a car, the windshield is a lot bigger than the rear view mirror, right? You know, and there's probably a reason for that. And so we want to have the rear view mirror. We want to take a look at what we've learned and what's gone on, but we can't really dwell on that past. We have to move forward. And, and that's, uh, we're taking that opportunity. Even, you know, the wine industry has fundamentally not changed in 8,000 years. So <laughs> it's not, a, not like a high tech type of thing. But uh, we are taking a look at this and saying, okay, um, what are we learning out of this? So we, you know, we, we're really looking at how to reinvent the company. I, th I love what you're talking about, Gary. It's, it, this is the time to really make things uh, change and, and, and it's an opportunity to, to make things better, you know? So I know that one of the things that, uh, these are sort of like really block and tackle things, but it became abundantly clear to us that, you know, one of the things that we need to have and every company should have, just like every human should have, is some kind of a rainy day fund. You know, you got to have a war chest somewhere. And if you don't have one, make sure you have a darn good line of credit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that's probably a huge thing. The other thing that we really have reinforced is the importance of diversification as a company. Um, you know, if we were a, a direct to consumer only winery, where we were relying on just uh, traffic coming. I'm in, I'm actually in the tasting room right now. Well, we'd be dead, you know, or if we were a small uh, winery that only served restaurants while well, the restaurants are closed, we'd be dead. So diversification is, I think, a, a, is an important thing. It kind of keeps you in balance. Um, a solid communication plan is critical. You know, um, we absolutely applaud the idea that the, 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 the first customer is our own is our own team. So we have daily communications that go out that are just updates on things that are going on. And then, uh, and I have my HR, I have one person doing that. So there's just a single voice talking out there and it's my head of HR. And then about every two weeks, I put out something called the, the, the state of the estate. And I do a much more uh, in-depth uh, dive into where the business is, um, where we are, where we're going, where we think we're going. And then it just, I think it was Ken that you asked for me, it was Gary, you said this, uh, we, I, you know, I asked my team, how can we be better when we, when we come out on the other end on this and make it a two way kind of thing. And then, and then the fourth thing I think that we've really learned is, and this, and I don't mean this to sound morbid at all, but that we, that a, a succession plan, uh, for virtually every position in the company is critical. And, uh, um, 
And I don't mean people are going to die. <laughs> what I mean is that people are going to move on or they're going to you know, find other opportunities and hopefully better opportunities. I, I, I welcome that. But we need to have a succession plan in place. Uh, and then we've, we've changed. You know, we've changed how we're doing our business. Uh, clearly, nobody's coming into the tasting room, so we're going out to the people through Zoom tastings and through, I'm doing a Facebook Live event at uh, five o'clock today, and, and uh, uh, we've just heavy up on, on, like I was talking about last week, we're doing a lot of text campaigns, we're doing email campaigns, we're doing phone work. Uh, we just started up our new, ta our new uh, uh, website, and it's the first time we've had a chat function on there, and it's, it's going off the hook. It's unbelievable. Um, uh, it's, it's forced us to, to move quicker into areas that we should have been moving before. Thanks, Chad. I've, you, you triggered three questions for me and I'm still looking for chat questions. So by, by all means, everybody fire away. Questions for you, Gary. Um, I'm trying to figure out which one I want to ask first. Well, a comment, first of all, people have been talking about coming up with new and creative things. I love the idea that one restaurant that you alluded to that's now showing movies, basically a drive-in theater on their, their, their restaurant wall. I think that's brilliant. Number two, you talk about the word tribe. Can you kind of dive in on that a little bit? And then I want to talk to you about succession planning like you and I talked about on our podcast a couple months ago. So maybe address what you mean by tribe for those that are not familiar with what you mean by tribe. Sure, thanks. Yeah. Um, one of the, the biggest uh, human needs we have is to belong. If you think about Maslow's hierarchy to self-actualization, you know, the first two steps in that is, you know, am I safe and can I eat? And the next one is belonging or love. And... Uh, what happens in organizations is we, we get kind of a bit sissy about using the word love. You know, we don't use the word love, but, um, but belonging is really important. So a number of years back, uh, we did some thinking around, well, you know, a lot of people call themselves teams. And we said, well, a team is a, is a good thing. Um, you know, you, you play on a team to win, to, to, to win a certain set of circumstances within a game that the team members may change, uh, yeah, you belong to a team, do you or don't you? But it's a bit short in, in what it does. And then we started to think about tribes and um, tribes in the sense of the definition of a tribe to us is a group of people who come together to protect and feed each other. And then we went back and I studied some of the attributes of the indigenous Australians and the Fiji Islanders. And it turned out there were some commonalities around what were the attributes of a tribe. And funnily enough, the number one responsibility of a tribal leader is to be a learner and a teacher. Here's the example. Um, when, you were out, when you were out on the, uh, the Nullarbor Plain, Judd, uh, you may have come across Ayers Rock, which is now called Uluru. And if we were to go there thousands of years ago and observe a, a group of Australian Aborigines in a meeting, what would the, what would the tribal leader be doing? The tribal leader do, would be teaching the young tribe members to throw a boomerang. Why? because the boomerang was the tool of survival. And if they didn't survive, the tribe would go extinct. So our job as a tribe is to be a place where people belong. Uh, there's attributes of learning and teaching, of values, of connectedness, um, of uh, recognizing specialized skills, celebration. So all of these things come together to us and that's why if you ask anybody at WD-40, they say I'm a W, they won't say I work for WD-40. They say I'm a WD-40 tribe member because I belong. And in fact, we just as a, as a symbol, no, no for no other reason, we actually have a teepee in the lobby of our office in San Diego. And in every room around the building, each room 
meeting room is named after where we have an office in the world and we have a symbol of kind of what a tribal artifact would be um, in that area uh, of the world. So it's very much a culture thing that we, uh, we think is important. Thank you, Gary. Now I'll take you to that next question. And then we do have a question from the audience after this, but I want to, while it's on my mind, you shared with me when we talked a couple months ago in the podcast about how you don't use the term, and, and Judd, no offense, because everybody in family businesses uses this term, but talk about uh, your, uh, not quite synonym, almost an antonym, if you will, for succession plan. What do you call it at WD-40? Bench building. Yeah. Talk about that. So I don't believe in succession planning. I don't think you can help someone plan for something into the future that doesn't exist. What I do believe is in bench building. So if you have a solid bench building program within your organization, succession happens sort of naturally. So that's why we have such an emphasis on uh, everybody in our company is called a coach. We don't have managers. Uh, everybody is a coach. So I'm first coach to my direct reports. And uh, what's the job of a coach? Well, the job of the coach is certainly not to play on the field. The job of the coach is to spend time on the locker room, in the locker room and on the sideline, you know, calling the play, identifying opportunities. And more importantly, the coach should never be on the podium. I've never seen Tiger Woods' coach wear the green jacket. <laughs> so, you know, it's really important that the coach is on the sideline. And, you know, as Ken and I wrote in our book, you know, we're not there to mark people's papers. We're there to help them get A's. And it's so important to identify what an A looks like and then how do we help people step into the best version of their personal self, making sure that your empathy eats your ego and your ego doesn't eat your empathy. Thank you. I love that. Appreciate that. So I have a really close friend, Jane, who works up in Fresno. She runs a, an organization called JP Marketing. She's worked very closely with the... Uh, family business program at Fresno State. Uh, I'm going to throw this question first to you, Dr. Blanchard, because I know Jane's a huge Dr. Blanchard fan. Um, so there you go, Jane. Her question is, I have a small team of 30 and most of us are working remotely. What are two to three tips for me as the founder slash president to help the team feel connected to me, the company, and to each other? I think that's a question we all have. Thanks, Jane. So Ken, what are you? I, I think one of the things that would really be important, and I've seen my son do this, is, is get uh, on a Zoom call every morning with your team and say, uh, you know, uh, we always like to, in our meetings, sort of say, what happened yesterday that you're proud of that you'd like to share with us so we can cheer you on? Uh, and everybody goes around and talks about things. And then the second one is, what are you concerned about today or this week that maybe some of us could help you on and all? And so you stay in touch with your people and make sure that, uh, that, that, uh, that they really are part of the, the team and, and the earlier, the better. Uh, and so as we've, Gary and I both been saying over communicate rather than under communicate, but that's what I would do is if you're all working at home and all that, get on a Zoom call. This, this whole Zoom thing is terrific. We had a uh, uh, board of directors for our company meeting from nine to five uh, yesterday, uh, uh, Zoom call. And it was just uh, pretty amazing. So uh, uh, just hey, keep I've muted you if you'd like to follow up on that at all. Calls, um, can, you still, can you hear me? 
Yeah, it's pretty, pretty, uh, you sound like you're speaking from underwater. Yeah, my, my, my mic, uh, I love it. It's not Yeah, I'll just have you type it in if you have a follow-up. Nice mic. <laughs> She's a wonderful person. She just have a great, doesn't have a great microphone, that's all. Thanks, Jane. Feel free to type in if you have more. I'll unmute for now, but uh, anybody else have any questions? Um, I got a million questions, but I don't want to make this, you know, my questions. Anybody that wants to type something in or raise their hand and, and uh, I'll be, oh, here we go. All right. So Jane follows up with, that's helpful. We're doing calls every other day, but daily is a good idea. I agree. I like that. I think that because if you're in the same office, you wouldn't wait every couple of days to talk to your people. You would talk to them every day. So I think the Zoom and phone calls gives you that same opportunity. So Gary, how about you? What are you doing? I know you have associates and, and tribe members all over the world. You, uh, you know, even before these times, you're not seeing them every day. So what are you doing to help with that now beyond the Zoom call or the phone call? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've been doing forever and I kind of stole this from Ken. He, he puts a personal message out of a, 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 uh, an audio one every day. Um, I've been for many years now sending out a, a message every morning to the tribe and it's called For Today From and it's wherever I am in the world. Now, obviously, it's been from Poway where I live for a lot of a lot of days in the last weeks, but I agree with Ken, you know, we, we're reaching out. Uh, I send a video out every week to the tribe. I, I, um, I try to make it as, as lighthearted, but as factual as I could. I, I try to address the brutal facts, but also, you know, I, I, wanna, I wanna make sure that I continue to be a, a visionary and, and paint a future for people. Um, I, wanna, I want us to be ready and, and, fire, to, and fired up and ready to go when we, we come out of this parking lot. I, was, I had a number of calls with our investors over the last few days and I said, you know, we know where we were going and we were on a road. And what's happened is we've got put in a parking lot for a little while. And while we're in the parking lot, we're taking an opportunity to check the chassis of the car and make sure that we've got, you know, all of the components in place and you know, grease the oil and get it all going because we're going to get back on that highway again soon and we're going to go full steam ahead again to the destination we know we have to go to. So I think, you know, having, letting, painting people a picture of pragmatic optimism is what we need. We can't be just optimistic, but what's, what's pragmatic optimism? And finally, I would say, if you can't change it, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. If you can't change it, let it go. Move on to the next idea. This is rapid, rapid fire you know, disruption and innovation time. Thank you, Gary. Yeah, Jane, one other follow-up too, you typed in and, you know, beyond the, the phone calls and so forth, I've heard, and I, forgive me, we've had a lot of Zoom calls in the last six weeks um, right here in our office on the laptop. So who said it and who does it, I don't remember. But one thing that I've implemented, we've implemented with some of not only the team that we have that we've maybe had to furlough, but also team members that just, you know, we're not seeing or not getting many hours is, is gift cards. I'm not promoting Grubhub, but that's what we've chosen. We've sent occasionally a Grubhub gift card to people just to, hey, thinking about you, thank you for, you know, we know this isn't uh, the greatest of times for you, for any of us, but here's 25 bucks, you know, have dinner on us, or if it's, you know, 100 bucks if it's someone that's lost their job. So that's something that I've seen done as well. Yeah, I forgot about that, Ed, last uh, week um, coming into Easter, we uh, gave every tribe member 100 bucks and said, go have Easter dinner home on us. 
Um, and uh, so 100 bucks, what was it? But, you know, everybody was able to have a home dinner um, on us for, the, for Easter. Sally, your hand went up. I unmuted you if you'd like to. Sally, tell us who you are, and I want you to start deciding to find yourself instead of me. Okay, Sally Watt, Watt Companies. Um, I really liked the fact that you mentioned that you must make sure you understand that the employees are your number one customers. You know, you kind of tend to forget about that, especially in this uh, terrible tsunami that's hit us. Um, and it's, I, I wanted to stress as I hear you guys talk, how important it is that you, everybody being in their own home, that you communicate every day to all your employees, you know, reassure them that we're all together in this, especially in our fast paced company. Um, they just worry to death whether they're gonna have a job tomorrow. And so like you say, you have to like plan, uh, like dress up at Zoom parties or have all together maybe a, a different kind of coffee to talk about or um, you know, outfit you're wearing, something like that. Every day, assure them that they have a company that's a part of them. It's interesting. My uh, my title in our company is I'm I'm the chief spiritual officer, <laughs> and uh, I leave a morning message for everybody every day. And I've been doing it for over twenty years. And and I do three things. One, I tell people who to pray for, and people tell me kids or parents and all who are hurting and all. And of course, now I'm saying we all pray together <laughs> uh, for this whole thing. And then I praise people. People give me uh, names and things that are happening that are praiseworthy. And then I leave a, <clears throat> an inspirational message on something I've read, read or received. So uh, I got a letter from a guy from New Zealand. I met in an airport and sent him some uh, things. And uh, he sent me a note a while back that said, Ken, the business you're in is teaching people the power of love rather than the love of power. And I just love that uh, statement, made a whole morning message out of that. So I think you're really right. You just want to keep on communicating, encouraging people. And and uh, I'm not in an operational position now. I'm just kind of a head cheerleader, but my son and, and his team are communicating all the time. And then I do a big picture cheerleading every day. Appreciate that. I'm going to unmute um, Jim Hall. Can I unmute you? Yeah, you're unmuted. Uh, rather than me reading what you typed, do you mind sharing what you do for your folks and your background and what you guys do? Yeah, thanks, Ed. Uh, thanks for having me on the call. And uh, Jim Hall, I own a restaurant in Huntington Beach. It's called Surf City Ale House. First and foremost, uh, thanks for having me. And it's an honor to uh, be on this call. I feel like a guppy in the ocean. Um, you know, our, our team, we furloughed, and uh, we did that on the 17th of March. Before the mandate, we just felt it was safety over profit, you know, which, you know, scared the bejesus out of us. Mm -hmm. um, but we've stayed in text communication with the entire team. Our goal is to hire everybody back as soon as we emerge. Um, it just came to me one day, I said, hey, how do we celebrate these folks and make them feel special? So using social media, we just uh, asked them for photos. They didn't have to, but if they wanted to, they sent us photos and uh, told us a little bit about themselves, their dog, their kids, their passions outside of work. So we posted on Instagram and 
Facebook and uh, people have loved it. You know, it's pretty cool. That's great. I like that a lot. Um, my colleague, uh, Kathleen Ferris, who runs the, the uh, family business program over at the Drucker School of Management at Claremont, just up the street from us. I'm just going to read what she wrote. I was looking for her on the screen to unmute her, but I'll just read it. We are doing virtual happy hours. Oh, she's, oh. she's right here. Oh, Kathleen, I'm going to unmute you. Do you want to just kind of share? You want to, there you go. You want to go ahead and share what you just typed? That way I don't have to read. Yeah, sure. Um, so we're doing a lot of different things. Our president sends out an email to us every Monday. And then we have a staff member who, I want to say she's kind of like the positivity person. She sends out some notes every day to all the staff uh, to keep everybody engaged. And then we set up a lot of um, different ways for people to engage because everybody's learning. Right, so some of our groups are engaging on Slack, some uh, on Microsoft Teams. But I think the big thing the staff talked about was actually, you know, engaging with each other is like, how do we have a little bit of fun? And so there have been some opportunities where staff is dressed up and got on calls and we've done some virtual calls, um, happy hours and things like that. And just trying to stay in communication. Um, we've also mailed out like some giant Jenga and some cookies and things like that, just to you know, really address the heart. And then I really appreciate that our faculty have really leaned in to offer free webinars to staff, faculty and beyond, and to our families to really allow you know, some space for people to say, here's how I'm doing, and then also to look at like the self-management piece, um, back to what our speakers were talking about earlier, like you know, how do you self-manage in this space to be able to you know, continue to do your good work, but also, to engage with the community. So that's a little bit about what we're doing. Thank you, I love that. John, I love what you just typed. Can you share that with us, please? Uh, me? Yeah, please. Oh yeah, so we were talking about, so it's great because so many of these ideas we're also doing, we're, uh, we have a, a, a team called the Press Forward team, which is a culture change team. And we're in the wine business where you press grapes that so we're called Press Forward. And, uh, and that's, it's a multi-dimensional, like a, uh, multi-discipline group and it's a Vegas rules kind of thing. It's, it's there to create change and uh, what goes on in that room stays in that room. And, and we, uh, we were talking about, uh, you know, your approval ratings from your engagement ratings. We went from, I'll be honest with you, in the toilet to uh, being ranked one of the top uh, places to work in, in uh, the Bay Area and from our own employees, which so we've made this, these cultural changes. But um, we also do uh, our cocktail hours, which is, which is a blast. Naturally, we're drinking wine. Um, but also what I do with my key members, I call them personally every day. And the first question I ask them is like, how are you? <laughs> All right. And then the second thing I, I say is I'm here to help whatever you need. How can I help you? And it's just important for leaders to, to, to you know, not tell people what to do, but to help them do what they can do. I appreciate that, Judd. Thank you. That's a great phrase, though. And I know Gary used that, you know, how can I help you? Yeah. Uh, that's a wonderful thing for a manager. And Garrett, Gary's, they call themselves coaches, not managers. Right. And putting that word how in front of it is so different than saying, can I help you? Because people are going right. to say, knowing that you put how, it gets them thinking creatively. Give me an example of what we can do. Or what I can do. What can I do to help? You know, that's, yeah. that's what I'm here for is to, is, is to help. I've changed that up it just recently and now I'm saying how may I serve you yeah that's true to our theme today of servant leadership absolutely and you know the other thing is you know the things change day to day and it's like 
how are you doing today? Yeah. Um, because yesterday was different. But. Yeah, there's a point Kathleen just typed in. There's an article that she has that's posted in our chat as well. Instead of how are you doing, asking how are you doing right now? How are you doing yeah. today? Exactly, I love that. Ken and Gary, you wrote this book, um, Helping People Win at Work. Um, how does that apply more? And you probably already answered this and forgive me for, you know, I think redundancy is the key to learning. So if you say some things over and over, maybe eventually I'll get it. Um, how does, how do the things that you wrote in that book, and a lot of people on here today have that book, Gary, because you gave it out when you spoke a couple of years ago at our center. I know I've read it twice. How do some of those concepts that you guys talked about, Ken or Gary, apply more now than ever before? Especially since we're all remote. <laughs> Well, I think that, that they really do apply uh, more than ever because, uh, again, you know, all good performance starts with clear goals. And so you want to try to say, you know, what are we trying to accomplish? What is each person trying to accomplish? And once that's, uh, that's set, which is the leadership part of servant leadership, then you, then you say, how can I help? You know, uh, you accomplish those goals and how do we help each other live that? Isn't that right, Gary? I mean, that's really what you're trying to do. Yeah, and, and what I found even more powerful during this time is how the input, how our um, emphasis is on values. Um, you know, we have a clear, a clear set of stated values, and the, our first value is we value doing the right thing. And, you know, I don't know how many times in conversations and conference calls in the last, I don't know, 35 days, we've said, you know, is that the right thing to do? Um, our second value is we value created, creating positive lasting memories in all of our relationships. And often in calls we've said, you know, I'm not sure that's gonna create the positive lasting memory we want. And then one, our last value is we value sustaining the WD-40 economy. And again, we've had a lot of conversations around, will this action sustain the WD-40 economy? Um, so I, I think that because for many years now, well, since 2006 probably, or four, we've been using a process around only understanding what's expected of people, but having them make decisions aligned with our values. Our values are, are very, very entrenched in our organization and people are using them every day to make decisions, which means our values have become our boundaries. So people are free within the boundaries to be creative. Uh, and I have a, a, I don't know if I shared this on this call or not yet, but if I did, redundancy is the best way of learning. I just learned that from Ed. But I have an algorithm for creating culture and I'd like to share it with you. It's culture equals, and the equal sign means happens when, parentheses, values plus behavior, close parentheses, times consistency. So what do I mean by that? You have to have a set of values in place that are the boundaries of your organization. And then you've got to be caring enough and loving enough and more importantly, brave enough to, be, to redirect behavior when you need to in the organization that is not supporting the values. And if you do that consistency, con consistently, consistently, you end up with a very, very strong culture that people actually feel secure in and you, you, you create a, an enormous trust within the organization because of that safety. So I think that which we, which we talk about in the book is really important. 
Yeah. And I want to reinforce what Gary is saying about the importance of having boundaries and values are a key element. You know, I love the quote that a river without banks is a large puddle. Uh, you know, what keeps the banks, the river flowing is that it has banks. And uh, so often, you know, you go into companies and say, uh, you know, you'll see values on the wall and, and then you'll say to people, uh, well, how do those uh, values play out? Uh, well, I don't know. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, you can even ask them what the values are. They don't even know what they are. But what, what they do at WD-40, they are a way of behaving. They're a way of being on a daily basis. Uh, and so that's just so important that your values are something that you really practice. And we have our people, um, we only have two measurements of values. You either live them or you visit them, and we don't want a lot of visitors. <laughs> and what we have our people do in our quarterly conversations is we have them share with their coach and others examples of how they've lived the values in the last 90 days, which is, again, people have to adopt and then embed this in behavior. Uh, and, uh, and time is not your friend here. It has to be consistent, consistent, consistent. And it's really showing up so beautifully uh, at the moment in our organization as I see people making decisions and saying, no, I'm not going to do that because it's not the right thing to do. I'm not going to do that because it's not my value. And what Gary has there is that, that those values, uh, the people have to live them because they have to know them. So when they sit down and do any kind of review with them, it's not just looking at results. It's results and values. And, and, uh, and I know Gary, you know, if you get a person who's getting high results, but they're low on values, <clears throat> you're going to have a big discussion there, but they're not afraid to let somebody go who's good at getting things done, but they're not doing them consistent with the values. And if you let that uh, go, then your whole values are uh, taking a shot, right, Gary? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's that awful word in an organization, a high performer who doesn't live your values is corporate cancer. Gary, can you share that formula one more time that you um, rattled off to us? A couple of people have asked. I just posted it on the, um, chat. on the chat room. Okay, great. Thank you. And also Kathleen from Claremont has also posted uh, from your website, your values. So I recommend that everybody take a chance to, to click on that and go to the values for WD-40. Can I, uh, Gary, can I go back a little bit with you both? Um, I know the story of how the two of you met and first collaborated, and I'm fascinated by it. I think maybe our, our audience here may be as well. Would either of you like to share kind of how the two of you first, I know you're both in the San Diego area, but there's a lot of people in San Diego that you don't meet. So just, just curious if you could share that a little bit. Yeah, I can start and Ken can finish. Uh, yeah, I didn't know can all 22, 23 years ago. I read the One Minute Manager, of course. And, um, but uh, when I became CEO of WD-40 Company in the late 90s, I realized that micromanagement wasn't scalable and that I was consciously incompetent. And if we were going to build a tribe of people to grow this company, I had to work out a way to do it. So I looked around and I found this degree, master's degree at USD. And it was, in fact, the first year of the master's degree. It's a master of science in executive leadership. And I went along and I signed up for it. And uh, Ken was my professor and um, in, 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 in the class. And uh, 
we just got to know each other and got to love each other and and you know I just took a lot of what Ken did and uh, um, and put it to work and shared the outcomes of it. So that's my side of the story, Ken. You can tell the truth now. Is it a good story, Ken? Well, you know, I, I looked at all the MBA programs and around the country, and they don't tend to teach anything about leadership. You know, they stuff it in an organizational behavior class. And uh, to me, effective leadership is a <coughs> kind of a transformational journey, beginning with self-leadership. It's finding out about yourself and all. Most of the leaders I found in the problem are scared little kids inside because they don't really know who they are. And so we start off with teaching people about themselves and, and all. And in fact, the course that Gary was in that Margie and I taught was the last of the self-leadership program, which was helping people develop their leadership point of view. And then we moved to one-on-one -on -one leadership where you're trying to build trust with somebody else. We have courses in that area. Then we move to organizational leadership where you're trying to build a sense of community. And then we end with organizational leadership where you're trying to build a culture. And so uh, our program at, at the University of San Diego is half of the courses are on leadership. And then the USD faculty, they teach the accounting and the marketing and, and those kind of courses, which I think are important, but we really kind of overdo the leadership. And that's what attracted Gary and other kinds of people because uh, so often people want an MBA on their resume. Uh, and uh, we get people who've had MBAs come in our program. We've gotten people who have had a PhD that come into the program because they want to learn something about leadership. <coughs> Thanks, Ken. So Adam Bowermaster, who is the president of Bowermaster and Associates, and they're our exclusive insurance uh, sponsor for the Center for Family Business. Um, Adam, I, rather than read, I see you just popped up on here. I'm going to unmute you. If you want to ask, do you, do you want me to ask it or you want to ask it? I'll unmute you. Go ahead. They'd rather hear your voice than mine. I doubt that. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. I love your question. Hi, everybody. Thanks for your, your, your valuable time. Much appreciated. You know, my question is, I got about 50 employees working remotely. And obviously, some of them have a more comfortable or happier home life or, or whatever than others. And I'm just curious to know what your opinions or suggestions are in dealing with employees that um, aren't necessarily in the best environment working at home, whether it's isolation or it's, you know, an unhealthy, coming to work might be their safe place. They might, uh, that might be the, the best thing. Getting up for work in the morning might be the happy part of their day and not necessarily going home and the fact that they're stuck at home doing work. I'm just curious what your thoughts or opinions are in handling those you know, sort of delicate situations. We're doing a webinar tomorrow on mental health and I'm, we're gonna cover some of this a bit, not me personally, I'm not the expert, but I'm just curious what your opinions are on that. Or, well, first of all, it's great to be uh, locked in with somebody you love. Yes. So that, that's a real positive thing, but if there's a strained relationship, what you're going to have to do in any kind of organizational setting is set some guidelines, some boundaries, as Gary's talking about. How are we going to operate together, you know? Because, you know, we probably wouldn't choose this, but we have no choice right now. So what are the boundaries and what are the rules and regulations on how we're going to deal with each other and make a difference? And you're going to have to do that with your kids. I mean, some people are 
home with a bunch of kids. <laughs> I read where some family uh, has five kids uh, in an apartment in New York City, and it says like running a diner with a group of disgruntled customers, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, but you have to have to set some guidelines and some boundaries on how you're going to work, don't you think, Eric? Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's a great question that you put up there, Adam. I've, I, I fortunately I haven't experienced that in our organisation. Although I, I must admit, my wife has become more aware of my bad habits over the last four <laughs> weeks than she was before. But, um, but you know, one of the things that that I you know, tried it at home here, it, it's difficult when you're in someone's face all the time. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's about getting your space. And as Ken said, setting some boundaries saying, hey, I, I need this space for this amount of time. I'm, I'm going to be stuck in this meeting for this amount of time. Um, so please don't consider that me ignoring you. Um, but it's me having to be there and you know, the transparency of it all. But uh, I think that is a challenge. I think you're right. Uh, a lot of people find solace in coming to work and, uh, um, and enjoy, you know, we're social animals. Um, you know, the intro this is introvert heaven right now, but the extroverts are having a hell of a time because they're not getting, so we've got to appeal to the extroverts in any way we can with things like Zooming and, you know, as someone else said, we've had, you know, um, you know uh, Zoom happy hours or WebEx happy hours. I think I, I, I got cut off at a Zoom happy hour, I think, because it was such good fun. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, we've had other stuff going on. I know one of our groups did a, a whole um, pub trivia thing. And, you know, the, it's, this is the time for von, to show our vulnerability as leaders. You know, I, I did a video the other day and I said, and I, I had my mask on and my hat on and I'd been out to the store and I came back and I said, you know, this is hard time. I don't really like running around with this mask on. I don't really like being like, but, you know, I've got to do it. And, you know, yeah, I do feel uncomfortable. And I'm, I am not, you know, feeling my, being my best self sometimes. I have to remind myself to be my best self. So I think showing vulnerability is really, really important. Agreed. I appreciate that. Do you have anything to add to that or anybody else that's on the call that want to add what you're doing? Because I think, Adam, what I heard in your question were your words, but in addition, I also heard um, even just the physical space. Some people are working at their dining room table because they got nowhere else to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That Ken's alluding to. I, I've seen that as well. And I've also seen, you know, unfortunately, our pastor shared with me on a, on a podcast recently that um, domestic abuse is at a high right now because, you know, we've got situations and that may be part of what you're going to address tomorrow in your webinar, Adam, is that, um, you know, if you're not in a situation to Ken and Gary's point um, where you are in love with the person that you're next to or, or getting along with, you certainly have those concerns too. So I think as leaders, we need to be very cognizant of the fact that there are people who are absolutely, even introverts, <laughs> that may be absolutely miserable being home right now because they either don't have a place to work or they just don't want to be around the person that they're trying to get away from when they leave to go to work every day. So thanks for asking that question, Adam. And I can, I'll say it's one thing that I did was, because uh, I'm the kind of person who can't sit still, <laughs> there's no way. And, and I've got, uh, my wife uh, is upstairs doing Zoom calls. My daughter is back from Wellesley doing classes on Zoom. My other daughter is upstairs making phone calls for her. You know, there's just no space in our house for this. So I fortunately can still go into my office because the, the office is empty. But one of the things that we did is we did send out um, a series of tips 
for people how to sort of keep mental health while, while hold up at home. A lot of it has to do with exercise. A lot of it is just getting out of the house, taking a brief walk and clearing the air. But the people that I uh, reached out to were my salespeople because they work out of the house anyway. And it's like, how do you deal with it? And they had the best ideas. You know, they're the ones that were really, they, they, they talk about having their own space, the boundaries and, and taking walks and, and getting a you know, breath of fresh air, whatever it happens to be. Uh, uh, maybe it's picking up a book for 10 minutes and, and trying to clear your mind a little bit. And if you can, uh, if there is a, a space to get back into an office, particularly if for somebody who's really struggling with it, well, that, that office is, is now empty. So let them go back to the office, you know, just socially distant. Yeah. Alicia from uh, ISIS Career Smart, one of our clients as well, mentions that childcare issues are certainly a contributing factor as well. Um, most of you have probably seen the funny video that went out a week or two ago of a woman praying and saying, I am not a teacher. I am not a homeschool parent or something along those lines. It's pretty funny because, you know, we're, we're not realizing that a lot of us are in an environment right now that we're not used to, you know. I mean, she's used to homeschooling our grandsons because she homeschooled our kids. I get down there and I'm just like, you know, let's watch TV and learn what they're saying on TV. Yeah, but our, I teach. our kids didn't have autism. Yeah, that's true. That mm -hmm. is true. Um, any other questions? There's nothing wrong with ending a meeting early, but we have this unique opportunity with Gary and Ken and Judd and all of us. I mean, if anybody's heard anything that you'd like to elaborate on or um, not sure when this opportunity will present itself again, if not... I will give each, uh, you know, maybe start with Judd, go to Gary and end with Ken, just kind of any final things that are on your mind you'd like to share, uh, things that you've done that you're, you're proud of, or maybe what you're excited about coming out of this that you'd like to share with the group. Judd, I guess I'll lead off with you. Sure. I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll follow off of uh, Gary's line, the, the, the pragmatic optimist. Uh, I'm accused of being a glass half full guy all the time, and I, I proudly accept that, you know. And uh, and I do think about the the windshield instead of the the rearview mirror. But there is, I was watching a Simon Sinek uh, little video just the other day, and he talked about the difference between uh, being positive and being optimistic. And I think the, the the big difference there is that pragmatism that goes with optimism. And I'm 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 with you, Gary. I'm I'm constantly optimistic with a with a with a little. Uh, caution thrown into it and i hope everybody else is too we're going to get through this and uh and we're gonna, and we're probably going to learn a lot from it oh i've already learned more than i'm going to be able to put into practice in the short term so i'm excited about that but i'd like to finish to just sign off with the sign off that's been on my email for a long time and it's believe in yourself never give up take one day at a time and remember we all have something significant yet to do it's been a pleasure to be with you. Gary, thank you. Ken, you get the second to last word and I reserve it to wrap it up. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to, to share that's been important to, for me to relearn is that we have two selves. We have a task-oriented self that's used to getting jobs done and we have a thoughtful, reflective uh, self. Now, which self do you think wakes up quicker in the morning in a regular day? The task-oriented self, what happens? The alarm goes off. John Ortberg was a great pastor in Northern California. He said, why don't we call it the opportunity clock or it's going to be a great day. No alarm. And gee, you jump out of bed and you're trying to eat while you're washing and you jump in your car and you're on the phone and all. You got this meeting that and you get 
home and you're exhausted at night and fall into bed, don't have energy to say goodnight to somebody who might be lying next to you. And then next day you're on at it again. And pretty soon you're into a rat race. And uh, Lily Talman, the great philosopher in Hollywood, said the problem with a rat race is even if you win it, you're still a rat. And uh, But one of the things that I have found is that uh, this whole time has given me a chance to enter my day slowly and wake up my thoughtful, reflective self first. Uh, and I want to tell you, that's a really powerful thing where you can get some quiet time and even say some prayers and to think about the day. And is there anything that that I particularly want to do today and who do I want to be today and, and all that. And, and just take some time to reflect before you get into your task or itself. And then a friend of mine wrote me and said, Blanchard, you've been goofing me up for a long time, but now I, uh, he said, I've never been a journal writer because, you know, some people write journals with three colors and poetry and all. But he said, I realized the other day that what I should have in a journal is right on the top of the page at the end of the day, praisings. What did I do today that's consistent with who I wanted to be today and what I wanted to accomplish? And then redirections, <laughs> redirects. What, do I, what would I like to redo if I had a chance? And I'm really finding it's really interesting to track your praisings and your redirections over a period of time because you can see which areas you need to work on. So for example, I got this thing, you probably wonder, I'm, I'm trying to increase my water intake, you know? And so one of the goals is I, I put one of these kind of things in almost every room. So when I go in there, but I've been really trying to uh, do that because normally I'm just racing there and I don't, don't do that. So think about your, yourself and how do you enter your day slowly uh, before you get into your task oriented self. Yeah, Ken, you shared that on LinkedIn the other day or someone on your social media team anyway did. And I've been thinking about that a lot of, you know, it's so easy to get caught up in that, you know, the to-do list. I wake up at three in the morning thinking about all the things I need to do in the hours that are ahead. And since I saw you share that message, I've been still waking up at 3 a.m. I can't control that, but my brain is less on what I need to do and more on who I need to reach out to, who I need, whose life I need to, you know, if someone pops into my head, I, I call them or I text them or I email them or, you know, I've, I've invited people to one-on-one -on -one Zooms in the last several days. Just, hey, let's just, I want to see your face. Let's chat a little bit. Thank you for that. Um, Orianne, anything you want to share? You've been sitting here quietly for the last hour and a half. <laughs> Put you on uh, I'm just inspired by by everyone. Um, you know, I my heart breaks when I think about the the people that are at home. You know, I, I've just been sitting here pondering ever ever since the question. Um, Adam about you know people that are that work is their safe place and you know they're they're maybe not at home in in safety and um so what i've been hearing from gary and and judd and ken um the just that importance of really reaching out and saying how can i help um maybe they'll come up with something really creative that that we can help them with um but um, so anyway, ever since Adam spoke up about that, that truth, it's just been, uh, it's on my heart. And um, so it just got me thinking about the people around me that maybe I'm taking for granted and just assuming that people are okay because they appear okay. So, um, wow. So just in my space, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start reaching out. How are you doing? How can I help? I'm good. Thanks. 
<laughs> and uh, anyway, so thank you for everyone for your comments and um, for your sharing. And uh, you, I'm just really inspired by, by all of you. And I'd also like to thank everybody that's been on this call. I know you have a lot of options and things to do, and we're all dealing with this pandemic in very different ways and very similar ways. Um, I appreciate each of you. I, I, I know each of you personally, and I'm grateful that you're on this call today. And um, if you're on this call, you have my email address. So two things. Number one, every Friday, it's just a little, not even a promotion because we don't get anything out of it other than the opportunity to, to be together. Every Friday at one o'clock, we do what I've been calling a coping in times like these Zoom call for anyone that wants to be on. It's not just for center members and sponsors. Dr. Blanchard's been on before, Judd's been on before, many of you have as well. We've had colleagues of ours around the world that have been on it too. Um, any of your employees, you feel like they might need, or tribe members, sorry Gary, you feel like they might need someone to talk to that maybe isn't you or isn't part of, of the family or what have you, we welcome them to be on it as well. We've had 10 people and we've had 60 people on it. And this will be our sixth Friday in a row of doing this. So uh, welcome to be on. The reason I say if, you have my, if you're on this, you have our email. So send me an email, I'll send you the link. It'll be the same Ashley ID and password as this one today. And then um, finally, I, I did record this. I'm not gonna blast it out to everyone because it's gonna be a big file. But if you like it, email me and I'll send it to you one off. Um, Ken, I, I, I think we ought to give a salute to your father, Joe Hart. Jack, yeah, Jack, Jack. my dad, Jack, is here. I'm gonna- um, Jack, I mean, not Jack, Joe, Jack. Yeah, and, Jack uh, Hart, dad, I'd love to- he, he's, still into, he's still into learning. Yeah, so I think he's 93 so years young and uh, he retired 20 You're a good man, Jack. Ago. But what are your thoughts, Pops? Oh my goodness. You know, uh, I retired from business probably 30, maybe it's 130 years ago, it was a long time ago. And uh, some things never change, like the value of communications. I was blessed with a CEO that I worked next to for many, many years. And the day always started 7.30 in the morning with where we headed. So that I had a whole department of people and a whole organization that was focused on things that mattered because they got that from me rather than going off and doing something different. The value of communications just came out in almost everything that was said by all you bright young uh, people. There were so many wonderful, wonderful uh, quotations that, that came out that I can't even pick one that, that's my favorite, but I love the chance to hear this and uh, pick up on what's going on in the real world now. It's a very different world, but with some very uh, similar values. Um, the, uh, Dr. Blanchard, the servant leadership, uh, comes right out of the best policy manual in the world, uh, the Bible. That's for sure. Thank you. One of my other mentors is on this call and his hand went up on the screen. I'm hoping it was intentional. I've been in this role nine years and there was a gentleman in this role before me for 12 years who was, I always joke that, you know, the, the greatest NFL coach of all time, the Super Bowl trophy is named after him and that's Vince Lombardi. And there's been a handful of coaches for the Packers after Vince Lombardi, and most of us couldn't name more than two of them. I'm one of those guys after Vince Lombardi. So for those who don't know, I'd like to introduce my Vince Lombardi, Mike Trueblood. I see your hand went up on there. Do you have any uh, words of wisdom for us? Yeah, I uh, did good job. Good to see you, my friend. 
Man of many words. Good job. All right. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> Great to see you, Mike. Uh, well, with that, again, uh, I'm going to ask one last thing of Dr. Blanchard for those that would like to stay with us for this. A few weeks ago, we had a similar call like this. And Ken, would you mind terribly offering up a little prayer? Just whatever comes to your heart for us, please, before we close off. Yes. Uh, thank you, Lord, for giving us a chance to be together. Thank you for your love of us, and may we take that love and, and spread it out, because uh, love is the answer, what is the question? And uh, we, we feel that love, and we thank you, and give us a way to get through this in a way that uh, helps our people and ourselves to grow even more, because life is a learning opportunity, as Gary would say. So thank you for life. Thank you for this time together, and thank you for all the blessings that we all share. God bless.